The verses that we are about to consider this morning form a paragraph that Martin Luther said was the most important paragraph of all of Scripture. Now, I don't know if we can really delineate that as truth, but certainly this is a very important element in the Word of God. It addresses the question, how can God be just and at the same time justify or declare righteous ungodly sinners? How can God declare ungodly sinners to be righteous, just, holy in his sight? That's an important question for us to consider this morning. And we concluded last week with Romans 3, 10 to 12, that read, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. All have turned aside, together they have become useless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And yet, we know that there are people that are going to be in God's presence. We know that there are people that are going to be found acceptable in his sight. And there are going to be people that are deemed to be holy, without blame, before him. The question is, how do you bring those two convergent thoughts together? How does God justify the unrighteous sinner? The key verse this morning is found in Romans 3.26. It says, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So his righteousness at the present time so that he that is God might be just, righteous, holy in his judgment, and at the same time be the justifier of the one who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So how can that be? Well, first, God is just because God does not pronounce us righteous based upon our own obedience to God's commands. Let me say that again. God is just because he does not pronounce us righteous based upon our own obedience to God's commands. The purpose of the commands of God was not to make us righteous, but to reveal the fact that we are unrighteous. Notice Romans 3.19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. We are looking at the law this morning, and one of the shorthand ways in which I'm referring to the law is the commands of God. The commands of God were not given to us as a means of salvation, but rather to reveal the need of salvation. Paul said, I would not have known sin if the law had not said, thou shalt not covet. But through the law, through the command, thou shalt not covet, 
It brought about all types of covetousness within me. It doesn't mean that it incited the covetousness. It revealed the covetousness that was there all the time. The commands of God reveal our rebellious and sinful heart. No one will be pronounced righteous based upon their own personal obedience to the commands of God. Notice Romans 3.20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. No one is going to be declared righteous based upon their own personal obedience to the commands of God. Last week, we looked at the fact that God does not grave a grade on a curve. Here we find that no one, not a single human being, will be declared righteous in his sight based upon the works of the law. That is true, both Old Testament and New Testament, true of all times, true of all ages, true of all ethnic groups, true of all people. God pronounces people to be righteous apart from their obedience to his commands. Notice verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested in these words apart from the law. Apart from the law. There is a way to be righteous without keeping the law of God. Without being obedient to his commands. This is not new. God has always pronounced people to be righteous apart from their obedience to his commands. Notice verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Now these words, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The fact that righteousness comes apart from personal obedience to the commands of God is borne witness to in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. When we get to Romans chapter 4, two individuals are going to be cited as examples of people who were justified or declared righteous before God apart from their own personal obedience. Romans 4, verse 1, asks the question, What shall we then say concerning Abraham, our father as to the uh, flesh, <clears throat> Have found, for if Abraham were justified by works, he has something of which to glory, but not before God. For what says the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Then in Romans chapter 4, verse 6, it cites the example of David. Romans 4, 6, just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. David was a re righteous as a result of his faith even after the law was given. Romans 4, 7. Then it quotes Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is written out of David's personal experience of his sin with committing adultery with Bathsheba and then having her uh, husband uh, Uriah murdered. And so you look at David, who was an adulterer, and David was a murderer, and so we ask the question, well, how can a 
a murderer, how can an adulterer be declared righteous? Psalm 32 says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. The blessedness of this transformation of an individual. So there is a way for a person to be righteous apart from personal obedience to the law, both Old Testament and New Testament. God is just because he pronounces us righteous based on our having faith in Lord Jesus Christ. This is a general truth for everyone. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. No one is righteous in and of themselves. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God's pronouncing us righteous is a gift that is not earned. Verse 24, and all are justified by his grace as a gift. So there is no merit to be had in receiving this gift of righteousness, this gift of acceptance with God. Thirdly, God is just in pronouncing us righteous because he does not overlook our disobedience to his commands. <coughs> our sins are paid for by Jesus Christ. There are two terms that explain how Christ's sacrifice made us righteous. The first is found in the term redemption. To redeem is to pay the price. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In order for God to be just, our sin issue had to be dealt with. He couldn't just wink at it. He couldn't just forget about it. He couldn't just overlook it. Uh, there had to be a settling of the debt of sin. We've said, none is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is punishable by death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Mankind is under judgment. God, if he's going to be holy and just, we just sang this morning, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. How can a holy God deal with the sin of unrighteous people of whom we all are a part? Answer, Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price of that sin. 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like gold or silver from your futile way of life, inherited from your fathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross paid the full penalty for our sin, Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So we are redeemed. The price 
of our sin has been paid. The point is, but not by us. Not by us. The price of our sin is paid through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second word that describes Christ's sacrifice is propitiation. Verse 25. Whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood. Jesus' death is viewed in two terms. As a redemption, the paying of the price of our sin, which is death, which he paid by shedding his own blood, dying on the cross in our behalf. The second term is propitiation. That's a big word. But it's an important word. It's a word that's found only three times in the whole New Testament. But the word propitiation simply means mercy seat. Mercy seat. In Hebrews chapter 9, it's describing the tabernacle that was used for worship in the Old Testament. And it describes that uh, tabernacle. And it says, And over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Uh, referring to this article of furniture in the most holy place in the Old Testament. It is referred to as the mercy seat. So let me unpack this historical reference for just a moment. In the Old Testament, there was an offering of sacrifices for sins. And on the Day of Atonement, an animal would be sacrificed, and the blood of that sacrifice would be brought in. There was the holy place, and then there was a curtain barrier, and then the most holy place, which only the high priest could go, and that only once a year. And in the most holy place, there was the Ark of the Covenant. It's called the Ark of the Covenant for it bore the covenant, which is the Ten Commandments. So inside this Ark were the Ten Commandments that were written on stone. And they were housed in this Ark of the Covenant. On the top of this box, there was a lid. And on the top of this lid, there were two cherubim, on either, one on either end, with wings up in the air. And they were turned and looking down into this Ark of the Covenant. And there was a flat space on the top of this Ark of the Covenant between the two cherubim and that flat space on the top of the Ark of the Covenant was referred to as the mercy seat. The mercy seat. For it was the place where God's wrath and God's mercy met. People were under God's wrath for breaking the covenant, for breaking God's commands. We've all seen that we've all broken God's commands. And in order to deal with the breaking of those commands, the high priest would come in and place blood on the top of the Ark of the Covenant to symbolize 
receiving the forgiveness of sins through the mercy and grace of God. Now we find out that Jesus is the propitiation. Jesus is that mercy seat. Jesus is the place where God's wrath and God's mercy come together. In the justice and holiness of God, his wrath had to be poured out against sin. And that wrath was poured out upon his own son when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And it says that that righteousness is manifested. It is seen. And one of the ways in which that, that righteousness of God is seen is that on the day of Passover when Jesus Christ was crucified, there were three hours of darkness. A darkness that demonstrated the, the fury and the wrath and the anger of God against sin. The forsakenness that came upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God the Father forsook him so that we would never be forsaken. So that we could be in his presence forever and ever. He bore our wrath. But he was also the place where God's mercy was expressed. For he bore that wrath not for anything that he had done, for he was sinless. He bore that wrath for us, for our sin. And so God's mercy is shown in the way in which he had compassion upon us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So his mercy came together. So God is just in pronouncing us righteous because this righteousness comes as a gift to us through faith. Verse 25, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The way that one obtains this gift is by faith. The way to appropriate it is to by believe it. To believe that Jesus died for my sins. To believe that his death paid completely the penalty for my sins. To believe that he will make me righteous and acceptable in his sight. God is just in pronouncing us righteous because God did not simply ignore the fact that we were sinners. Notice verse 25. Whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to receive by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, that God is righteous, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. NIV translates verse 25, because in his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. The word forbearance in verse 25 
means God was tolerant. God was patient. We already ran into this, this word in Romans chapter 2 when it said, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God was patient. God was forbearing in the way in which he dealt with former sins, according to verse 25. Former sins is not referring to our sins before we were saved. It's talking about the sins that were committed in the Old Testament. Those sins are said to be passed over, verse 25. Because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. That is, God intentionally overlooked the sins in the Old Testament. God was patient in responding to that sinfulness of mankind. God provided a means by which eventually they would be dealt with. In the Old Testament, there were animal sacrifices offered for sins. But those animal sacrifices could not and did not take away sin. Hebrews 10 verse 4 says, For it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. They never took away sins. They pointed to a sacrifice that was coming that would take away sin, which was Jesus. But those animal sacrifices could not and did not take away sins. Only the sacrifice of Christ could take away sins. Hebrews 10, 5 and 6. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. So Jesus came to die to pay that ultimate sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 7 to 10. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required that they be made. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He set aside the first, that is, the sacrifices, to establish the second. And that by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. By that will. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he dealt with all our sins. The scripture speaks of sins in two categories. There are sins of commission, that is things that we do that we should not do. And there are sins of omission, that is sins that, we are, <clears throat> that result from our failing to do what we should do. So commission, things that we do that we shouldn't. Omission, things that we fail to do that we should. 
The first and great commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. None of us love God in that way. Jesus said, I came not to do my will, but yours. I came not to satisfy myself. I came to satisfy you. I came not to please myself. I came to please you. So when Jesus offered himself up willingly as a sacrifice to the Father, he bore our sins of omission by willingly, freely giving himself wholly out of a love for God the Father. He provided for us the righteousness that we lacked. He not only paid the penalty, but then he provided the righteousness that we need and that we enjoy. Thus, God is righteous or just in declaring the sinner righteous who puts his faith or trust in Christ. God is righteous because he has dealt with a sin issue. Notice verse 25. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through the faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness. God is just or righteous because he declares us to be righteous, not based on our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. That means that he who was without sin was treated like a sinner so that we who were unrighteous could be treated as though we were righteous. He died so that we could be forgiven. So what are we to make from this passage? And what are we to learn? Why is this significant? that God is just and holy in the forgiveness of sins. Well, first, so we might appreciate and worship God for his mercy towards us who are sinners. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, it is solely because of the mercy and grace of God. There is nothing for us to boast in about our salvation this morning. I'm not going to talk about where faith comes from. We'll get to that when we move later into the book of Romans. But the point is this morning that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We are saved, not because of our goodness, but the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what is incredibly important, especially in the period of time in which we live, is to, is to understand that God is just, that God is holy, that God just can't overlook sin. He would be an unrighteous judge if he didn't hold people accountable for their sinfulness. So God sent forth his son, Galatians 4, 4, and 5, that great Christmas passage. But in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. In the justice of God, he had to deal with sin. 
So many people today view the only attribute of God as being loving. God is loving. God is gracious. God is kind. God is merciful. And that love and that grace and that mercy is shown, demonstrated, and given through his son. He was merciful by sending his son into this world to die on the cross for sins. It is only through faith in Christ that sins are forgiven. To accept, to believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, that I'm a sinner, and I'm going to be forgiven solely on the basis of that sacrifice. And so this morning, the question is, who is going to bear the judgment for your sin? It's either Christ or you. God is loving. God is kind. God is gracious. But he can't ignore the fact that we are sinners. Not everyone is going to be in the presence of God. Only those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you bear the consequence of your sin. The offering is Jesus. So the question this morning is, again, who is bearing your sin? Have you trusted in Christ? Or are you going to bear that sin on your own? The wages of sin is death. I hope that you trust in Jesus as your Savior. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that is found in the person of Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for any that are here this morning who perhaps have never fully trusted in Jesus as their Savior, that have not come to that place where they have recognized the need to be forgiven. I pray, Lord, that the reality of our sin and the justice of God would call us to come up short and that we might realize how just and holy you are that Jesus Christ was not sent needlessly. If there was a way for our sins to be forgiven apart from Christ, God would never have sent his son to die so that our sins could be forgiven. So, Lord, I, I pray that we would realize that it is not just love in general that takes away sin, but it's the person and work of the Lord Jesus. I pray that if there is anyone here this morning that has never trusted in Christ, that today they would place their faith in him. I know I just gave a, a call for salvation last week, but this is in our text again today. And so I say to you this morning, if you are here and have never 
asked Jesus to be your Savior, to take away your sins by his death on the cross, that today that would be the day in which you would want to receive Christ. And so I just simply ask this morning, is there anyone here today that would like to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins? Would you quickly raise your hand so I can see it, so I can acknowledge it? I'm not going to publicly embarrass you, but I want to know that you have made that decision this morning. Is there anyone here? Let's pray. Our Father, we, we do ask that indeed this would be the case. But the Lord, we know that you know, and uh, we pray that your spirit would strive and that there would be anyone here who doesn't know Lord Jesus Christ is their Savior. I would pray, O oh God, that you would be pleased to do a work of grace in their life. Lord, we would ask for your mercy to be demonstrated and your love to be shown to them in bringing them unto to yourself. But Lord, we commit ourselves unto your will, your purposes, your design. We pray your will be done in the life of each and every one. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the mercy that has been shown. Thank you for the grace that we have received, those who have believed in Christ. Thank you for your working in our hearts a working before the foundation of the earth. We praise and magnify and glorify your name and acknowledge that there is nothing good within us that deserves our salvation. It's all in Christ and his goodness. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.